as we dig back into our series on Philippians, let's start with this. Now we come to week two in chains based on chapter one, verses 12 through 26. Uh, Paul in, was in prison when he wrote this book of the Bible. He was in chains, and yet he found unexpected joy in that prison uh, within his chains. And so we're going to talk about how we can do the same. Four essentials for joyful living. And to make this practical and not theoretical, I want you to think right now, um, what is a, a set of chains in your life? What's something that you feel like is holding you back in being able to be fulfilled as a person, a most enjoyable life, most able to uh, reach out to other people and be effective in life? What, what is something you say, Lord, if I just didn't have this set of chains, I could do so much more in life? What is your prison? Uh, last week, we talked about uh, finding unexpected joy in certain relationships. But now we're going to talk about finding unexpected joy in certain situations. What is a situation in your life that you would call a desert uh, or you would find a prison, just like Paul? And in the same way, Paul found unexpected joy in that prison, in that set of chains, in that desert. I really believe, keep thinking of that thing as we go through this passage and apply this uh, to that particular situation and ask the question, could it be that God actually wants to use this thing I'm going through, this hard thing in my life, a, a breakup of a relationship or a tough medical diagnosis, or maybe some of you students, you have a, a class in school that should be called Desert 101 or Chains 201 or uh, you know something like that, Prison 301. Do you feel like you're imprisoned in a class right now? And you say, is, this is just a waste of my time. How, how can God possibly use this in my life? And ask yourself the question, in the same way God used Paul's prison in his life, could he be using that thing in your life? So the first one is, I need a perspective to live from. I need a perspective to live from chapter 1. Let's start with verse 12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, that is, he's in chains, he's in prison, has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, this English word advance comes from the Greek word prokopane. And it is an awesome, awesome word, prokopane. Um, it literally means making headway in spite of blows. That is, making headway in your life in, in spite of being hit. Instead of being knocked down. It means making progress in the midst of obstacles or difficulties. It carries with it the whole night, and forgive me, football analogies will begin to fade now, but I'm telling you, wasn't that a great Super Bowl? Was that a great Super Bowl? That a great Super Bowl. So it's, it's like a fullback, and some of these fullbacks just amaze me how they'll get hit again and again and again. They'll, they'll get practically knocked down, and they'll spin, and they'll get hit again, and they'll practically drag people with them another couple of yards, and that's what this word prokopane means. It means to advance, to make headway in your walk with Christ, the gospel making headway in the world despite being hit 
again and again, being knocked down again and again, it still advances the gospel. God wants to procopane, advance the gospel in your life and through you and around the world. Now, how can this possibly be? That his chains, his prison, has actually served to advance the gospel. That makes no sense. I mean, if you want to spread a worldwide movement, and really, this is launching the biggest movement in all of world history, biggest, fastest growing, continues to be the same in every nook and cranny of the world. Uh, if I were strategizing that, I would not put my best player in prison. I would not put my best preacher in prison. I would not put my best leader in prison. That makes absolutely no sense. It's like playing the Super Bowl without Tom Brady. I mean, it makes no sense to, to keep him on the bench, even though Bill Belichick kept that defensive player on the bench, and we have no idea why he did that. Well, it makes no sense uh, to do that. And in your situation, you say, you know, I, I just don't, I don't get it. Why is God doing this in my life? Why did God allow this to happen? This makes, this makes no sense. And, and so Paul goes on to explain what has happened to actually serve the advance of the gospel. Let's still go to the next verse. As a result, it has become clear. That is, the gospel has become clear. The message of Jesus has become clear. Throughout the whole palace guard, I'm going to come back to that in a second, palace guard, and everyone else in all the palace, Caesar's palace, that I am in chains for Christ. Now, this word palace guard is prefectus praetorio. These were the elite palace guard. These were the special forces, the naval seals. They were chosen by Caesar. They were the highest paid soldiers. These were the future leaders of the Roman Empire. Now, think about how, what plan God sets up here. makes no sense to us, but think about it for a minute. Nero, the most notorious leader that ever lived, right up there with Adolf Hitler, pays the future leaders of Rome to be chained to Paul for four hours at a time over a two-year period. Now, he, they probably had multiple shifts, one person did, but if they didn't, if it were different people, that could be as many as 4,380 leaders. Can you imagine? Historians are amazed with how Christianity grew so fast within the Roman Empire. It's an historical miracle. It's a historical mystery as to how that happened. I'll tell you one way. We know it was the Holy Spirit. It was supernatural. But one of the things is you take the top 4,380 leaders of your empire, chain them to Paul four hours at a time, it's going to make a difference. Can you imagine if we could take the top 4,380 leaders in Washington, D.C. and chain them to Paul for four hours at a time? Do you think that would cause a difference in our nation? So leadership-wise, this is just pumping out, mentored, discipled top leaders all through the Roman Empire. Uh, another thing happened while he was in prison. Now, Paul was an activist. He was always on the move. He would never sit down still enough uh, to do certain things because he was always on the move, a man of action. Well, what do you do when you're stuck in prison? You write the Bible. That's what you do. And so he sits down there and he writes a good chunk of the New Testament uh, from your workbook. If you've been studying that and reading through it, or you will this week as you read through your workbook, you'll see that Philippians is one of the books we call the prison epistles because they were written from prison. Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon, and you could also add in 2 Timothy. That's under what's called the pastoral epistles, but it also was written from prison. So five books of the Bible. Now let me ask you a question. Which would have more impact? Paul getting to preach a few more sermons? Paul getting to plant a couple more churches around the Mediterranean Sea, around the Roman Empire? Or 
writing five books of the Bible that have now been used by billions of people over the last 2,000 years. We still use them today. Which one? His sermon's long forgotten. Um, even his, one of his big griefs was that we don't know if he ever made it to Spain or not. His desire was to preach Jesus in Spain, and we don't know if he ever made that. But it, it didn't make it. It didn't matter because people who read his letters and came to Christ, they went to Spain and built the church there. So can you see how God's master plan, God is so much smarter than us. It makes no sense for him to be in prison, and yet he has a built-in leadership development program going on. And he's, got, he's writing part of the New Testament. Here's another thing that happened in, in the next verse, verse 14. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, you would think it would be the opposite, that he gets thrown in prison, everybody gets scared to share their faith. The opposite happened. They were emboldened. They saw his heroic example, and it inspired them to be even more bold in sharing Jesus as well. And so here we have the message of Jesus. I mean, it's just incredible. That started in a tiny, poverty-stricken village in the boondocks of the Roman Empire is now, just 30 years later, getting established in the capital city of the most powerful empire the world has ever known in the city of Rome. God's ways are higher than our ways. And if that was true for Paul then it's true in your prison and in my prison. Think of that thing right now. And, and could it be that that weakness in your life or, or that struggle in your life or that, that chapter in your life or this, this time in your life is actually something God is using to advance the gospel in your life and in, in, in the world? Um, boy, this whole, this whole phrase, if we could go back, I, I just love, uh, let's go back to verse 11. I just absolutely love that, if we could go back to verse 11, where he says that it, 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 God has actually used it to advance the gospel. You know, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus, it is advancing, propocaine, um, despite obstacles, despite persecution, despite martyrdom, despite blows, despite punches, it is advancing. Boy, you know, last Sunday I just got a picture of how God continues to do that today, even through our church. Um, I'm out in the lobby after, I think it was the 945 service. I'm out in the lobby, and I'm, I'm praying with a family from, Portu- from, from uh, Brazil, this whole family from Brazil, and one of our own church members, uh, she's translating my prayer into Portuguese. So I'm praying over this Brazilian family. Uh, one of the people from our church is translating into Portuguese. About the time I finish the prayer, Pastor Lisa runs by and says, Glenn, I just led a student from China to Christ, and she's going back to China tomorrow, and there's no water in the baptistry. Do you think it's okay if I baptize her in the fountain? And I'm like, sure, whatever. Yeah, I just can't, I can't keep up with what God's up to around here. It's just crazy. You just finished praying, and it's translated into Portuguese. You look up, hey, just let somebody to Christ going back to China. Can I baptize him in the baptistry? Sure. Uh, uh, we had a conference here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Cheryl Gardner, her, oper- her organization, uh, Operation Mobilization, uh, Pastor Randy, our pastor here in the front, and his wife, Cheryl. And, oh, my goodness, what God is doing in the Middle East today. You just can't believe it. It's just the gospel is advancing, propagating, despite blows, despite opposition, despite killings, despite fierce opposition, propagating. The gospel is advancing even in the most difficult places. Do you know, what is it, Cheryl? They said more people have come to Christ in Iran 
in the last three to five years than in centuries before that. Just crazy. The gospel is propagating, advancing, even in a place like Iran and across, and across the Middle East. Um, this, um, this, this morning, before, well, when I woke up, I woke up with something on my phone from Peter Wilson, who's our media guy. He's in India with a team in India. And he shows a picture of a worship service he's a part of. It was 12 hours ahead of us, so this is happening like, you know, at 2 in the morning, our time, or something like that. And here's a group of believers in India. And I'm just like, from India to the Middle East, to China, to Brazil, to Pomona, to Southern California... The gospel is advancing, and nothing will stop it. Blows can't stop it. Being knocked down can't stop it. Nothing, nothing can stop it. And the thing that's going on in your life can't stop it either. Now, everyone has problems. Everybody's got problems. But the difference is in our perspective, how we look at those problems. Greg Laurie writes, It has been said that you can't direct the wind, but you can adjust your sails. In other words, I can't control all the elements of my world or even very many of them at all, but I can control my reaction to them. I can adjust my sails and adapt. You can't, you can't change the wind. The wind blows ill sometimes. It'll blow you over sometimes, but you can adjust your sails. Paul's view of his circumstances, Paul's view of his circumstances. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me and what has happened to you and what is happening to you has actually served to advance the gospel. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that in all things, God works for the good. All things are not good. The death of your child was not good. The breakup of your marriage was not good. The diagnosis you got last week was not good. The class that you failed, was, that was not good. Not everything's good. But God works for the good. Turn that over to him. Adjust your sails into God's wind. And he will work for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. Amy Carmichael was a very famous missionary, changed the world for Christ in India. Uh, She was a missionary to South India. Had she never experienced suffering, her name would probably not be well known today. She spent 56 years on the mission field and never returned home to England. An accident damaged her leg and left her bedridden for the last 20 years of her life. This is probably the most influential Christian, the most dynamic Christian leader in India at that time. And God sticks her on her bed for 20 years with a suffering with an injury. Go figure. But it was during those 20 years of suffering in bed that she wrote most of her 40 books. God used her experience of suffering to bring encouragement to millions of people. She was thinking of Romans 8.28, she said, when she wrote these words, a wise master never wastes his servant's time. Do you feel like you're wasting time? The easiest one to apply it to is, let me talk to the students. Do you have a class where you think you're wasting your time? A wise servant. We have a wise master. Wise master. He never wastes our time. You will be amazed at the stuff you learn in school and how it's going to apply later on in life. Let me just tell you, I, he doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste anything in your life at any stage of, of, of life. Uh, he, he doesn't waste anything. Here's our lesson uh, after principle number one. God has a purpose behind every one of my problems. I love that saying, and maybe this is why you were invited here this morning, or you're watching online right now, or you're in Idaho, or in Montana. Our disappointments are his appointments. 
Are you thinking of a disappointment in your life right now? Right now, just think of something you're disappointed in in your life. It could very well be that if you adjust your sales, our disappointments are his appointments. Growing up as a kid, there were two heroes in our home. One was Billy Graham, the evangelist, and one was Dwight D. Eisenhower, who was president when I was born. My dad was a World War II veteran, and he loved Eisenhower, who was the commander of the Allied troops. And during the Battle of the Bulge, and my pastor, I had the coolest pastor, he was in the trenches at the Battle of the Bulge. And, oh, my goodness, he could tell cool war stories, you know, on Sunday mornings. And I just thought he was the coolest thing ever. Everybody thinks that about their pastor, right, that he's the coolest thing ever. I'm sure he's the same thing. So, at any rate, uh, he would talk about the Battle of the Bulge. The Battle of the Bulge is a counteroffensive by the Nazis. And, and it was so depressing at the time because the, the Allies were making steady process, uh, progress on the way to Berlin to conquer the Nazi regime. And Hitler does a bold counteroffensive in which he burst through in a counteroffensive through Belgium trying to get to a seaport uh, access. And everybody threw up their hands and said, are you kidding me? This is horrible. We've been advancing against Hitler and now he's advancing against us. And one guy kept his head. Dwight Eisenhower, the commander of the Allied troops, he said, this is an awesome opportunity. We got them right where we want them. They're out from behind their defenses, which has cost so many lives in order to defeat them inch by inch, mile by mile, behind their fortifications. They're out in the open now. And sure enough, he surrounded them, and he crushed them, and he defeated them, and the war ended 6 to 12 months earlier than it would have. Uh, God has a purpose behind every one of our problems. And that's true for your problems and my problems as well. Okay, number two, I need a priority to live by. Uh, verse, verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Verse 16. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here. I am put here. Think about that phrase for a moment, okay? You, wherever you live, wherever you go to school, wherever you work, you are put there for God's purposes. You're not there by accident. You have been put here, and Paul's talking about prison. I've been put here for the defense of the gospel. Here, this little podunk movement that started in the boondocks of the Roman Empire, he's about to have a defense before the emperor of the Roman Empire. He says, strategically, God has put me here, and he's put you in your place as well. Verse 17, the former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, Supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Let's go back to verse 17. Um, I want to give you a pet peeve alert right now, okay? Because I'm going to rant a little bit on a pet peeve. And so please forgive me on this if I go over uh, the line a little bit. But th this, part of this is comforting. You know, they say misery loves company. And part of me is happy about this, that there were people back then preaching out of selfish ambition just to make a bigger name of themselves rather than Paul's. So part of me feels good because we kind of glorify the early Christians and say, oh, they were totally unified. They always got along great. And they just sang kumbaya all the time. And nobody ever, and their worship services were all trust falls. And, uh, you know, just everybody got along all the time. Absolutely untrue. They were people just like you and me. And so even back then, there were people preaching Christ out of selfish ambition. Let's go back one more verse to verse 16. E even uh, back one verse, verse 16. Even back then, uh, they were preaching out of envy. Uh, oh, 17, sorry. She loves me back there. She really does. Okay. Um, um, okay, whatever. It's somewhere in there. 
The two words I'm looking for are envy and rivalry. Selfish ambition, envy, rivalry. That was the area. Envy. It was 15. Oh, it was verse 15. Let's hear it for Penny Tresser back there. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Okay. Envy and rivalry. Uh, and, and, and true ambition. Let me, let me tell you how these guys would have operated if they were around today. Okay? There's somebody they're jealous of, the Apostle Paul. Uh, they would go on social media. They would find something he said that could be taken wrong if you take it out of context from a sermon 20 years before. And they would have blasted it all over social media. Okay? That's what they would have done. Or they would have heard an interview that Paul did uh, with the newspaper from Rome there. And Paul would have been slightly imbalanced in one part of what he said. And they would have pulled that out and trumpeted everywhere and said, He's a heretic. He's a heretic. Follow me instead. I have the truth. He is a heretic. I am so... Now, don't get me wrong. got to do a disclaimer. There is a time to call out falsehood and error. There, there is. And when people drift from orthodoxy, there is. But 95% of the time, it is not from a desire for truth. It is out of envy and rivalry. And when you read something online about so-and-so ministries from Oklahoma says that pastor so-and-so, and it's, it's somebody that's been tremendously used by God, ministry so-and-so, tremendously used by God, they did this bad thing one day. They're evil. And this person has done squat for the kingdom of God, except have their little blog in their basement is all they've done. And here they are ripping on a legitimate ministry that, sure, we're human beings. When you talk for a certain amount of time, you make mistakes, all right? It happens to me every five minutes up here. And, and so, Christians, we got to start giving ourselves the benefit of the doubt with each other. Because it wastes time from doing the real thing, which is advancing the gospel. Anybody want to say amen to that? Now, okay. Now, let me do a pet peeve on top of a pet peeve. You know why we love to argue about secondary issues as Christians? Because it's easier than reaching people for Jesus. It is so much easier for me to say, Pastor Randy is post-mill, and I'm pre-mill. And tell, let me tell you why Pastor Randy is Satan in disguise because of that. So much easier to do that than for Pastor Randy and I to start building bridges to people to reach them for Jesus. That's the hard work. And water always flows to its path of least resistance. I mean, if Kimberly says, um, uh, Glenn, it's time to do the taxes, and I know it's tax time. And then she says, would you like to clean the garage? All of a sudden, I put it off for 10 years, but I'm out there cleaning the garage. <laughs> Woo! Clean the garage. Why? Because it's easier than doing my taxes. Right? And there's the same way with Christians. It is so much easier to fight with each other than to advance the gospel. Okay, pet peeve alert over. We are done with that. Verse 18. Verse 18. Let's go to verse 18. Paul's response to his critics. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in everywhere. Here's, here's Paul's priority. Who cares? You see, they thought Paul's in prison. He can't preach. Everybody's like, loves the big apostle Paul, and they're jealous. So they said, now he's in prison. Yay, I can start preaching and building my name, building my church, building my ministry at his expense. Oh, Paul's going to be so jealous sitting in there in prison. Yeah, he's going to be so irritated. They don't know anything about Paul. They don't know the mark of the man. They don't know the greatness of the man. You know what's the greatness of the man? What does it matter? 
The important thing, the priority, is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ has preached, and because of this, I rejoice. They don't know Paul. They don't know that the main thing for him is not big name and big reputation. Uh, The thing for him is that the gospel is advanced. Yes, and I will continue uh, to rejoice. Matthew 6.33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Chuck Swindoll writes, life is like a coin. Life is like a coin. You can spend it any way you want, but you can only spend it once. It's like a coin. You can spend it any way you want. You can only spend it once. Here's our lesson from the second principle here. Focus on what really counts. And then number three, I need a power to live on. Uh, you know, this one you can, you can read on your own. I want to take a little bit more time in the fourth point. So let's go to number four. I need a purpose to live for. I need a purpose to live for. Uh, Kimberly and I still like to read this thing called a newspaper. And for you young adults, a newspaper, you may not have heard of it before, but it's, uh, it's something that's delivered to your house and you read it. And the news is always 24 hours stale compared to what you got on your phone yesterday. So what you get on your phone is so much more update. I mean, nowadays when I read my newspaper, I'm like, didn't that happen a week ago? No, no, it just happened 24 hours ago. But we still like to get a newspaper and read it because it has comic strips in it. That's one of the main reasons we still get a newspaper. How crazy. And one of our favorite comics is called Pearls Before Swine. And let me show you one we saw the other day. Hey, rat, look what I got you. Rat says to, pig says to rat. What is it? It's a porpoise chauffeur to drive you anywhere you want just like you wanted. Rat says, I wanted a purpose-driven life, not a porpoise-driven life. And Pig says, you need to enunciate better. So when sharing our church, don't tell them it's porpoise church, okay? Don't tell them it's porpoise church. Tell them it's purpose church. Okay, Kimberly and I found that hilarious. That's why we married each other. Paul's reason for living. Let's end on this, actually. For to me, to live is Christ... And to die is gain. Verse 20, I'm sorry. Yeah, let's go to verse 21. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul's reason for living. Let's start with the first half of it, okay? The part that's bold. For to me to live is Christ. Okay, this is a tough one, and I'm pointing my finger at me. Oh, don't let me point my finger at you. But let me point them back at you, back at myself, okay? Back at me. Um, if somebody that didn't know me were, you know, of course the right Christian answer for the fill in the blank is Christ, okay? For to me to live is Christ. We know that. But if somebody who didn't know me were to look at my daily schedule, uh, my calendar, my, um, the, my, my checkbook, my credit card statement, your, your credit card statement, your checkbook, your, cal- your schedule, your calendar, would, would, would they, and don't get me wrong, there's going to be all kinds of things in there that are awesome, like groceries and <laughs> vacations and all that good stuff. But would they be able to sense in any way, would they be able to find evidence that ultimately, beyond the mundane living that we all have to do, for to me to live is Christ? Would there be evidence in our life that that is our true priority? And then the second part is so good, and to die is gain. To die is gain. This is the ultimate win-win. 
for the follower of Christ to live is Christ. But to die is actually gain on that. I w- worked out Friday and, and um, I was sitting in my favorite part of the workout is the jacuzzi afterwards and you're sitting in there and getting into all kinds of great conversations. I'm sitting in there and this guy that I hardly knew him, I didn't think he knew who I was or anything. He didn't, I'd maybe talked to him once and we didn't hardly talk at all, and I, but I had recognized him as being there. And, and I, I get in the jacuzzi and he goes, hey, he goes, you're a man of the cloth, aren't you? And I'm like, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> but I think he meant I was a pastor. And so I said, well, yes, yes, I am. And he starts pouring out his heart. Just gotten a tough medical diagnosis. You could tell he was scared. Uh, he was going to get a second and a third opinion. And we had a very frank conversation about why we fear death and, and, and fearing death. And I said to him, you know, it's an it's, it's interesting coincidence, I said. Uh, this Sunday, I'm preaching a sermon from St. Paul. I thought St. Paul was the right response to man of the cloth. I thought these are kind of parallel with each other. If a guy says man of the cloth, you answer with St. Paul. Okay. And I said, he said for me to live as Christ, but he believed in the hope of heaven that to die was even gain. Had such a great conversation. He thanked me for it afterwards. At this conference that I was talking about that we held here a couple of weeks ago, one of the couples that uh, was mentioned was this Gary and Bonnie Witherell, vibrant young couple. They were called by God to love the people of Lebanon. And Bonnie was serving impoverished Palestinian women at a clinic for the poor in Sidon, from the old biblical Tyre in Sidon. And an unknown assailant came in and shot her uh, to death and killed her gunned down by an unknown assailant. And and you say, okay, God, how does that make sense? This precious couple, this precious young woman, dynamic, goes to share Jesus in Lebanon, and she gets gunned down, and they never find her assailant, no justice done, and, and, and she's just dead. God, what's the point of that? Her murder reverberated around the world, throughout the Middle East, and throughout Lebanon due to extensive media coverage. It echoed. In, in her death, she shared Christ with more people than she ever could in a hundred lifetimes. For to me, to live as Christ and to die still serves his purposes and is to gain heaven for eternity. Jesus calls us out of our chains, out of our prison, to follow him, to serve others, And then we discover, even in the midst of that desert, unexpected joy.